I want to. I guess I could be so bold today. And I want to. I want to um, deliver to you a a a. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I want to. This sounds too dramatic, but I can't think of another word to say it. So please, if it's too dramatic for you, I don't. I'm not trying to sensationalize it, but I really today want to deliver to you a, a, a warning uh, that I believe the Lord is is. Um, placed in my spirit this morning and before you get all panicky and break out in a cold sweat and think I'm going to the doomsday scenario the warning I'm suggesting um, for some may seem unnecessary but for those of us that are walking in the spirit those of us who desire to see uh, the kingdom of God manifested in its full capacity it will be a warning to us not all warnings are damning. Not all warnings are, uh, are, are apocalyptic. But there are warnings, uh, nonetheless, and they're important reminders to us. Um, I, I want to do something here just for a moment. I'll, I'm going to be nostalgic for some, for just a moment for a couple of you. I want to play for a couple of you, uh, some some too quick and I hopefully I'll do this before YouTube or Facebook kicks me off. Fingers crossed. I try to clip it down so it's short enough they don't kick me off. I want to I want to be nostalgic for just a moment um for a for some of you. I know, knowing some of you, you were singing along with that because you know that song, and that song is something that you uh, have probably heard or sung at one point in time. Uh, I got one more for you here, just a moment. Let me make sure we get it all queued up here. Uh, here we go. Been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. All right, I think we're still live. I don't know if YouTube or Facebook has kicked us off because we use those two songs. I said that I use those two songs today um, because I think they really illustrate a point. Especially the first one, um, people get ready. There's a train coming. and You don't need a ticket. Just get on board. All you need is a little faith to hear the diesels humming. Now, I know, I know, I get it. I don't need a history lesson. I understand the context with both of those songs were written. Sam Cooke, one of the best soul singers of all time. I get why he sung that, what he was singing it for. I don't need you to give me a history lesson. I'm very well versed on the context of both of those songs. But I made those kind of, I use those illustrations because it speaks to something that that's part of what I want to share with you for a few moments this morning. And before I do that, 
some of you probably saw this, but I want to read this to you this morning because it's uh, the Lord has already dealt with me over this. And I felt like when I read this, it was confirmation. Even further, this comes from Bishop Wright, Bishop Wright, the Bishop of Antioch sent this out the other day. And this is what he maybe a lot of you may have seen it, but I'm going to read it anyways. It says change is coming just as covid forced adjustments to ministry methods and a refocusing of spiritual efforts for the church. Even though the cause of the crisis will be from a different type source than sickness, plague, a similar similar spiritual crisis is coming that will affect the church even more directly than covid. We can prepare now while we are still in a small space of time, or we can try to adjust in the midst of the storm. The Lord is giving us a choice of how and when we will prepare now or then, but we will make a choice as to when we will prepare intentionally or otherwise. Our response will be a product of our faith. I know for those of you that are a part of Antioch West, and if you're joining us today and you're brand new Probably a lot of what I say today will be a little confusing to you. Uh, it won't be very contextualized to today, and you may not understand quite a bit of that. And I apologize in advance uh, if what I say today confuses you. But but there's plenty of people that are on here today that will understand what I'm saying. So if you're new or you're just tuning in this very first time, more than likely a lot of stuff I say today may not make a lot of sense to you. Um, I'm not here today to get into the uh, reading of the tea leaves of society and the plight of society and uh, who's doing this and who's doing what. Because in reality, I, I don't want to mean to be negative, but none of that really matters. Uh, it, that's not why we do what we do. My Lord, if we're going to base our action, which is really not action, it's really reaction. If we're going to base our reaction about where the state of the world is, we're never really going to get anywhere in God because God doesn't base his plan off the world. God is not reacting. God is a God of action. Now, sometimes his actions line up with things that are going on in this world. Sometimes they don't. You say, well, what about COVID? Wasn't COVID, weren't, weren't we reactionary to COVID? Uh, now, there's two types of answers to that one are we talking about individualist individuals or are we talking about the church individuals maybe yeah we were reactionary to covid but the church the church was not reacting to covid the church was being warned through covid and what i mean by that is is that god was allowing covid to affect churches because think about it how many crises have we had in this country that never touched the religious aspects of what we do i mean i don't know of historically i don't know if there's ever been a time where churches were shut down and i say that within quotations because you can't shut the church down because the church is not a physical location or a physical building but most people use that terminology do uh because the churches were shut down things were shut down and so um because of that there was this idea that, you know, the government shut the church down. Well, first of all, that's not even biblical. The government can't shut the church down because the Bible says upon this rock, I will build my church. You can't shut down Jesus's church. Now you can shut down your church. You can shut down my church, but you can't shut down his church. So if you want to talk about reactionary, yeah, individuals, we reacted, uh, but the church was not 
in a reactive state. The church was in a state of, of, of God using or allowing COVID. I would say allow more than using it, allowing COVID to affect the church in the way it did as a way to break the, to, to shake the church, to realize, wait a minute, we may need to make some adjustments. Now, there were some, and I believe, thankfully, and I don't mean this boastfully, we are a part of that group. We were prepared at Antioch West before we even got to COVID. God had been preparing us before COVID. So for us, there was very little adjustment. But there were a lot of places where COVID really, really wreaked havoc. And now you see them kind of fighting to get back to where they were pre-COVID. And that's another subject for another day. The point I'm making is that God has never been a reacting God. He's an action God. And there's several verses today that I want to use for you. And I'm not going to, I'm not really necessarily teaching today. I'm not even preaching. I'm really just giving, sharing with you a, something that the Lord has put in my spirit and then let you take it from there. Uh, but there is a change coming. I'm just going to lay it out there. I know you've been saying that for a while. Okay. Well, let's use a couple of verses here to let you know that I'm not crazy. Uh, first, uh, the gospel of John, John chapter one. Uh, verse number 19. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him who you are. Now this is not John the writer. This is John the Baptist who was out preaching uh, prior to Jesus coming. He said he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us that what you say about yourself. And this is his words. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm not the one who's coming. I'm not that guy, but I'm telling you he's coming. Now you got to realize something here. And I know some of you get a little, uh, maybe bored or turned off by my historical context all the time. But it's important for us to understand scripture has to be interpreted in context. That's the, one of the biggest errors I find in the, in, in misinterpreting scripture is, is contextual error. And what I mean by that is, uh, um, you have to look at the context. You have to look at the historical. You have to look at the social. You have to look at the grammatical. You have to look at all the context of a scripture before you can make an assumption on interpretation. Because the problem is we take modern uh, um, modern uh, um, context and place it into a ancient context. And therefore we come up with modern interpretations for ancient um, ancient uh, uh, dialogue. And what I mean by that is, and I'll say it this way, I've said it before, some of you have heard me say it again, and I'm not getting into this, so just trying to make a point. And that is, we read the Bible in low context, they read it in high context. What I mean by that is, there's a lot of things in the Bible that when they wrote it, they assumed the reader already knew. They didn't have to explain it to the reader. Because they, they, they had an understanding that the reader had a working knowledge. What I mean by that is be, it basically this. I'll give you a good example. I could say to you today, man, it is still amazing to me that I can go to the store and see all the shelves filled with toilet paper. Now, if I would have said that 20 years ago, or if I say that 30 years in the future or 100 years in the future, and you read that or you hear me say that, you'll kind of be like, 
what is he talking about? There's plenty of toilet paper. Or what is he discussing? What is the big deal about toilet paper? But you and I both know because it's a contextual statement. And I'm assuming you as the listener know what I'm talking about because you and I both know what it was like to go to the store two years ago and see empty shelves with no TP and realizing we are in a crisis. And if I say to you now, man, it's so awesome that I can go to the store and see rows and rows and rows of TP. Still today, I get excited when I go to Costco and I, I go around the, the our Costco, uh, the, to, the, the uh, paper towels and the toilet paper in the back. And I go on that Costco and I go around the corner and I see just mounds of paper towels and toilet paper and they don't have that sign on there that says limit one per customer. I still have the urge to buy like four four huge I don't need them. I just want to buy them. Because I remember just a couple years ago going there needing toilet paper or needing paper towels and there not being any. So if I said to you man it's still amazing to me that it's just cool to be able to go to the store and, and see tons of toilet paper tons of paper towels. You're kind of like, well, that doesn't make any sense if you're not seeing it within the context. So again, scripturally, there are some things, if we're not careful, it's the toilet paper effect. I'm not calling the scripture toilet paper. I'm making the statement. If we don't understand the context of those statements, we'll miss the magnitude of what's being said because we will misinterpret it and think, well, okay, uh, you know, folks, what's the big deal? I, you know, he's the one crying to wills make way of the Lord. You know, okay, great. He's just a crazy preacher. Oh, great. Or we, what we do, we do now is because we know the punchline. We assume going back to it, the magnitude of the statement doesn't weigh as much because we already know the punchline. But in this context, again, you got to realize where we are in the timeline, what it meant and where we're at. Because again, why do we need to know these things? Because God is a God of pattern and principles and we'll find that he does the same thing repeatedly. And if we can find out and we see how he did it before, he's going to repeat himself. For example, and we'll kind of, we'll go backwards to come back to this point. Go back to when God destroyed the earth by the flood. What did he do? Did he just say, well, you know what? The earth is corrupt. I need to make a change. So let's just start making it rain. He didn't do that, right? What did he do? He spoke to a man by the name of Noah, told him what to do, but then allowed that man for 120 years. For 120 years, he allowed that guy to speak and warn people of what was coming. The Bible says in First Peter, I believe, chapter 2, that Moses warning because he was a preacher of righteousness, meaning not only was he building a boat tangibly showing people here is something that's going to save us from what's coming. But he's also telling them, listen, this is about to go down because God is fair. He's just, he's right. He doesn't condemn someone just to condemn them. So in this situation here with Noah, he gave them ample warning for 120 years. Think about that. If you and I were sitting here today, that'd be equivalent of someone starting to preach in 1903 and still preaching the same message today. Most of us, if that was the case, would have long tuned him out because, listen, dude, if it ain't happened by now, it is not going to happen. Sorry to bust your bubble because a lot of stuff has come and gone and you're still preaching the same tune and it hasn't come to pass. 
I don't think you're right. But Noah kept preaching. And in one day, that first drop of rain hit them on their forehead and they realized, whoa, this dude was right. By that point, it was too late. So we fast forward here again. And John arrives on the scene. Now all this is making, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tie it all together into where we are today. So just bear with me because this is the way the Lord gave it to me. John shows up on the scene. But John doesn't just show up in a vacuum. John didn't show up into a world that was void of context. Let's back up a little bit and realize where we are in the timeline all the way back throughout scripture, dating hundreds of years before that, there were promises of Messiah coming. There was never an argument that Messiah was, that there was no Messiah. They believed that there was a Messiah coming. It was prophesied that was a Messiah coming. There was a restoration that was coming. That wasn't the argument. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, The nation of Israel, the Jews were living in a period, theologically they call it the intertestament period. Basically, to to, to summarize it, it was a season of 400 years of silence. What do I mean by that? I mean the last page of the Old Testament, the ink on that began to dry 400 years prior to the birth of Christ. So for 400 years, they were void of any direct word from God that we have record of. They were still doing things in accordance. They were still living by all the, all the, all the, all the, the, the old covenant guidelines. But for 400 years, to put that into, into context, again, let's look, let's bring it forward to context. It's 2023. So 1623. Let's just pretend right now we are gathered together here and we're, 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 we're going to be gathering together later in small group. Let's just pretend for a moment that we have not heard any direction from God since 1623. Now, most of us, I, I'm, I can't even remember 16 minutes ago. Must less 1623. I mean, think about it. 1623, we weren't even a nation. 1623, there was barely only a handful of people living in the new world. Uh, 1623, most of what we know today wasn't even invented. 1623, the world was vastly different than it is now. 400 years. Think about that. Just staggering for a moment to look how much 400 years are 400 years, not 40 years. I'd be, I'd be, you know, forget that four years. Some of us panic. If we go four days, 400 years of nothing. And this guy shows up on the scene and he's saying, Hey, prepare you the way of the Lord. He's coming. It's about to happen. Wait a minute. I don't know. Because we've been waiting for 400 years since the last thing we ever heard from this guy. And now you're telling us he's going to show up. We believe Messiah's coming, but I don't know. But here's the point. And I've, you've heard some of you've heard me say this before. There was another context to all this. Because during this 400 years of silence, as some call it. 
during this period of time, there was a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of things happening. We had Alexander the Great coming through and basically conquering Palestine, spreading the Jews. That's why when Jesus talks about the lost tribes and the lost sheep, this was a part of that dispersion of the Israel, uh, of the Jewish people, uh, starting with Alexander the Great and then his his Hellenization, which is a very fancy word, word for making everything Greek of that area of the world to the point that even some Jews forgot to read how to read and speak Hebrew. This is where the old old covenant, the uh, Hebrew scriptures ended up having to be translated into uh, Greek, which is where we get, and I'm getting really technical here because some of you I've lost here, but that's where we get this word Septuagint. Septuagint is a uh, fancy word, meaning the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. I said all that because again, this is some context here to this statement. And then we're going to bring it home here to where we are because there's a change coming. So we have this whole entire framework happening when John shows up on the scene. He's not showing up in a, in, in a, in a, in a prime, um, moment. It was God's divine moment, but they weren't looking for this kind of change. They weren't looking for it this way because by the time John shows up in this 400 years of silence and all this has happened politically, you have the Greeks coming through the Romans coming through. You have all kinds of political turmoil and the internal turmoil. There were three groups that started to form three different, uh, um, train, three different mindsets that started to form. And this is very, very breaking it down. Very basically there was more, there's a little more nuances to it, but this is the basic, there were three basic groups that started to form that were believing Messiah would come, but, um, weren't exactly sure how he's going to do it. So they kind of theorized how it was going to happen. The first one, which is the most famous was the Pharisees. The Pharisees theorized that Messiah would come if we had strict adherence to the law, because their understanding was the reason why we are in the situation we're in. The reason why our ancestors were always shipped off to Babylon and always shipped off and conquered. And the reason why we're sitting here under Greek and Roman rule is because basically we've messed up. We've sinned. We've done too many bad things. And therefore, listen, here's how we're going to fix it. Everybody is going to live perfect and everybody's going to adhere to the perfection of the law. And to make sure that that happens, not only are we going to adhere to the laws as they are, but we're going to add more on to the top of it to make sure. Because, like, if the line is here, we don't even want you messing with the line. We're going to put the line way over there. That way, if you cross that line, you still haven't crossed God's line. Because if we do this and we do it long enough, basically God's going to go, okay, they're ready for me. I'm coming. There was a second group. And this is where we get the Maccabean uh, revolt. This is where the story of Hanukkah, there's some, there's some historical context here, the Maccabeans. And they were revolutionaries. They were a group of people that were revolutionaries. They believed that, that a revolution would restore a revolt. In fact, this happened several times, even when Jesus was a child, this was still going on where there was constant uh, revolting. In fact, um, um, Barabbas, the famous Barabbas, right? Give us Barabbas. 
He was another character in this revolt. He was someone who was a part of a, a revolt against the Roman occupation. And we go back to the Maccabeans and there was others. In fact, there was a point in time, probably historically about the time Jesus came back from Egypt, there was a huge revolt. And I believe if I'm correct on this, and I may not be a hundred percent, you'll look it up and make sure I'm right. But, uh, there was a point in time where they crucified something along around, around 2000 Jewish, um, um, uh, insurrectionists, uh, revolutionaries, they lined them up on this road, 2000 of them. And Jesus more than likely could, would have at least heard of that or saw that physically as a child. And then finally, there was a group that believed, okay, he's going to come. But when he comes, he's coming as the conquering one. In fact, this is the group that the, the disciples kind of fell into a little bit because remember on their way to Jerusalem, Jesus is about to be crucified and they're fighting about who's going to be uh, in charge of what part of the government because they figure, you know what? It's about to go down. We're going to Jerusalem. We're finally getting here and he's about to lay it down. I mean, he's going to take over. So there were the three groups. So John shows up and says, Hey, by the way, he's coming. He's coming. There's a change coming, but he's saying it in the context of these three different groups. He's not saying it under a unified banner that everybody was believing for the same thing. He's saying it within the context of this fractured group of we believe it's going to happen. We just differ on how it's going to happen. And so they, the majority missed it. Not because of their theology, they missed it because they didn't see how it was going to happen. And so there's a change coming. And you and I can be a part of that change and we can be on the forefront of that change and we can be a part of that change. But there's a change coming. Bishop said it, and God's been dealing with me about it. This has been going on now for several years, starting with COVID, and it's intense. It's not gone away. It's actually intensified, in case you're wondering. It's intensifying, and I don't even believe, to be honest with you, and maybe this will make some of you nervous, I don't even think we've seen the full change yet. We're not there yet. There's greater change coming. And I have to be frank with you that there's been a proverbial thought that said, well, you know, we're all believing for the same thing. So aren't we together? Well, they all, well, I, I know I'm going to get myself in trouble for saying this, but I'll just say it and just have to deal with the consequences. That's technically not true. I get the understanding. Well, we all believe for the same thing. So did they. They all believed Messiah was coming. They all believed in the restoration of the kingdom. The problem that divided them wasn't with their theology. The problem that divided them was their methodology. And all of them had a different understanding of how it was going to happen. And therefore, when Jesus showed up under his method, they missed out not because of their theology. They messed up because they didn't get the methodology. So the battle that's coming, the change coming, it's not a theological change. If you're looking for theological change, that's not what's happening. But there's a change coming and that change is going to bleed into our lives. It's going to bleed into how we do things, how we think, how we shape. And what do I mean by theology? I mean, the fact is theology is Jesus Christ is still Lord. You must be born again. There's some, some theology that's not changing. You must be born again. 
I'll say it again. You must be born again. Jesus Christ is Lord. There's some very straight, simple theology that's not changing, but there's a change coming. There's a change coming. Now, here's the warning, though. There's several aspects to change. Because there's a change happening. There's a shift happening. But here's the danger in that. There were two groups that Jesus really dealt with a lot. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were both in error. And they both came out of the same womb, if you want to call it that. But both on paper were different. But they were the same. What I mean by that is the Pharisees were in error because they added to the word. But the Sadducees were in error because they took away from the word. The Sadducees removed so much. They didn't believe in angels and spirits. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They They took it all out. So their error wasn't adding to, their error was taking too much out. And what I mean by that is, is that we have to be careful in this change that we don't add to, but on the other side, we don't take away. Because taking away is just as dangerous as adding to. And God is bringing change and we're going to continue down the path of change but in that path of change we have to make sure that we don't do the changing that god does the changing he did not tell noah dude i need you to go build an ark what's an ark i don't care go figure out what's an ark and he gets all his sons together and he gets some of the leading minds together and says listen i just god told me to build an ark what's an ark we, i don't know well what did he say was going to happen he said he was going to destroy the earth by a flood. Well, what's a flood? I don't know. It has something to do with water coming from the sky that's going to cover the earth. What does all that mean? I don't know. He didn't tell me. He just said, go build an ark. Well, what what does it need to look like? I don't know. He didn't tell me. All right. Well, well, what's an ark? Let's figure out what an ark is. Water covering. And so if they put their minds together, what would they have come up with? But God didn't do that. God gave them specific instructions on what to build, how to build it. He's given us the instructions in his new covenant on what to do and how to do it. Our job is not to go figure out the ark. Our job is just to build what he already put in place. Now, guess what? I will tell you, our ark is going to look a little different than the ark that was built in the first century. Because in the first century, they still had handmade tools. We've got saws and we've got cranes and we've got better equipment and better technology. And we've got computer computers that can help us with the, with the engineering to make sure that we're getting all the proper material. We may build, be able to build it faster and more efficient and cheaper, whatever. But we're still building the ark according to the instructions God gave. So we're in that change right now. There's a change coming. And I'm telling you right now. 
Bishop Wright said it, and I'm not trying to steal his what the Lord spoke through him. I'm echoing it because God's been speaking the same thing to you, to me. I've been saying it here, and I'm saying it again to us in Antioch West. Antioch West, we have to be prepared, and God is preparing us because there's a change coming. We need to be flexible. We need to be adaptable. We need to allow God to continue to mold us and make us into what he's going to do. We're not done yet. We're still in that process. There's more to come, but it's not changing for the sake of changing. There's a change coming because God is bringing things into be, into being. The timing of God, the direction of God, the plan of God. We can't miss that change. You can't miss it. And I can't miss it. Because there will be a group that misses it. I was talking to a person the other day uh, and we were discussing this. And, and it's amazing to me. Jesus was crucified and was resurrected. Roughly 33, uh, 35 AD, give or take 30 AD, somewhere in that 30 to 35 AD. The temple wasn't destroyed until 70 AD. So that means for about 40, 35 to 40 years, the temple was still operating. Even though according to scripture, the veil had been torn in two. The veil had been torn. There was physical evidence inside the temple that a change had happened. But yet for three over 30 years, they continued to do things even though they saw there was change. They were so stuck in the way they used to do things, they couldn't see it. We can't be so married to the past that we forget the shift that God is bringing about today. And I'm not trying to get into this today. That's not the point of it. The point I'm trying to make today is there's some things we hold so sacred that don't even come from the Bible. There's some things that we hold to be so sacred and we've gone back in the Bible and we've tried to use some verses to excuse our practice of these things, but they don't even come from the Bible. You can't find them in the New Testament church. I said it the other day uh, to, to the leaders in a podcast I did, and that is if Peter and Paul and John showed up today, how much would they recognize? I get there's, con- there's cultural things that are different. How much would they recognize what we're doing? I know I feel like I'm a broken record. I feel like I'm a broken record in some ways. I know today it feels like I'm repeating what I've repeated a hundred times. But there's still some of you that are still struggling with change. You're still struggling with why we're doing this. There's still struggle with movement. And here's the problem. You've made changes in your method, but the source behind it is still the same. Because you know what's so scary about religious tradition? Religious tradition is not about moving from legalism to freedom. 
Because, you know, honestly, a lot of people are like, well, I'm not, I'm not religious anymore. I don't believe in legalism. I don't believe in strictness. I believe in f- grace. And I believe that's not changing religious tradition. Because, no offense, the Pharisees were strict. The Sadducees weren't. But they were both under tradition. So what do I mean by religious tradition? Religious tradition is anything that man's fingerprints are on that changes or distorts or perverts God's intent, his original, his, his originality, even the smallest tweaks adding to or taking from both sides are the same. Both sides are equal. Both sides are just as damning. So there's some of you that are still like, well, we can't let go of these things. And we can say, well, that's religious tradition. Okay. But there's some of you who are like, we'll let go of all. Wait a minute. That's just as much religious tradition. Why? Because where's the source of all this? Where's the source of it? Because when I think, when you think of religious tradition, we always, what do we think of? We think of the staunch. The people that are rigid. That's not what religious tradition does. Religious tradition is anything that distorts, dilutes, perverts, changes, modifies. Any other word you want to use? God's original intent. God's original plan. God's original purpose for new covenant believers and his ecclesia. So I say that because there's change coming. But before some of you jump ahead and go, well, of course I know change is coming because I already know what the change is going to be. Hold up a minute. Wait a minute. Because you know what? God said when they built that ark to put one door and one window. Could the ark have floated with multiple doors and multiple windows? Sure. But God said one door, one window. What would have happened? I don't know. We can speculate only. What would have happened if Noah would have decided, you know what? God, I got your one window thing, but we're going to be cooped up in this thing for a long time. And in case you don't know, animals stink. And I really don't want to have all the ventilation system in this thing based off one window. So if you don't mind, I'd like to put multiple windows in here. What could have hurt? It's a window. I get the one door thing, right? One door. That way we can control who comes in, who comes out. Once the door's shut, we're secure. But windows, God, what's the big deal about a window? I don't know. Frankly, I think the ark could have survived with multiple windows. And if I was on the ark, I'd have wanted multiple windows. Good Lord, it must have smelled. But God said one. God said one. Why? His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. So in all of this, it's not about what Joel Wright wants. It's not about what works today, what doesn't work today. It's about what does God want? What does God say? Not adding or taking from. 
Because the change's coming. There's a change. And it's necessary. And it's it's divine in its origin. God is already moving and shaping. God is dealing with individuals. God is dealing with groups. This change is coming. There is a change coming. And I want to be a part of that change. But I want to be a part of it his way. Because you know what? I got to be honest with you. This is probably a terrible thing to say. I got my own opinions. I got some good ideas. I have some really good ideas and good observations on what I think the change should be and how it should be done. But I got to be honest with you. Last time I checked, God didn't ask me for my opinion. Sometimes I've given it to him, but it didn't really go that well. God, I think we should be doing this. Silence. Silence. Bottom line, there's change coming, but his change is coming. I'm not the one to do the changing. He's the one to do the changing. I'm to follow his lead. Whatever the father does, I do. do. Whatever the father says, I say. Jesus brought about change, but he brought about change through obedience to the Father. Be careful how we change, what we change, when we change. It's got to be directed by the Father. But there's a change coming. And I'm telling you right now in the Holy Ghost, I don't know when. I can't say what's going to happen next week. I'm not into market speculation. I'm just telling you there's a change coming. There is a change coming. There's a, and I don't believe there's a uh, a change. Like, oh, it's a little tweak. There's a monumental change coming. And here's why I say that. Because the change that came when Jesus showed up was so massive. The biggest people that had an issue with it were the ones who were stuck to religious tradition. Whatever side they fell on, whether it was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, didn't matter which side. The change that's going to come is not going to be rejected by the world. The change that's going to become is going to be rejected by the established church. It's going to be rejected by those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. That's who's going to reject it more. It's the world's not going to reject it. In fact, the world will embrace it because it's going to be dripped in the authenticity of true Christ-like manner. Jesus was a friend of sinners, but rejected by the religious. I don't mean we water down the message to make it appealing to people's flesh. But I know one thing. People want and gravitate towards that which is real. I always say this. If I was exposed to the Christianity that most people have been exposed to, I too would be an atheist. If I was exposed to the God that some have been exposed to, I too would have walked away from God. I grew up with, I must say this, and I probably will offend people for saying this. Hopefully the context of it 
will eliminate it, but I'm sure I'm going to make someone upset by saying it this way. I grew, I, I grew up around so many people that have left uh, and walked away from participating in what we would call church. I don't, I don't, I don't want to say they walked away from God. That's an unfair statement. So notice what I said. I didn't say they said they walked away from God. So don't go telling them, uh, Joel said you walked away from God. I didn't say that. I said they walked away from church. And when I say I walked away from church, I'm not equating God and church as the same thing. Because God and his body are the same, but God and church, the way we do it, are not the same. And if you disagree with me, I have plenty of time if you want to this week to get together and discuss why that's the case. But I'm, my point is they've walked away. And you know what? For so many years, people say, why? I can't believe people walk away. But honestly, if I was exposed to the God that they were exposed to, I would have walked away too. If I was exposed to the Christianity that they were told was true Christianity, I'd have walked away. I'd have walked away. I get why people in this world have such problems with Christians. I have gets why so many people have problems with God. Because those that are supposed to be advertising and living it out. I'd be an atheist too. The only reason I'm sitting here doing what I'm doing and believing is because void of all the stuff I've seen, I've had my own experience with God that has showed me he's real. And if you're distorting that, I go back to my own experience. But if all I ever knew was what you experienced and you were my example, I'd probably walk away too, because I got to be honest with you. Wow. Don't have time to get into all that. I said all that because the change that's coming is going to divide the church. It's not going to divide God from the world. It's going to divide the church. It's going to split the church in two. In fact, more than likely, it'll be split into more pieces than just two. It's going to fracture it. But go back. It's got to happen. We're following in the steps of the Bible says the latter rain will be greater than the former rain. We see parallels in how God did it in the beginning and how I'll do it in the end. And I don't have time to get on those parallels, but one of the greatest parallels was parallels to all that was the greatest enemy of Jesus Christ were the religious. The greatest enemy to the New Testament church came from the religious. Eventually Rome took over and was persecuting, but in the beginning it was the Jews were the greatest persecutors of the church. So I said this, if you're religious today and I'm making you mad, then maybe I'm doing something right. I'm not calling you wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying there's a change coming. And as was spoken in the song we sang, people get ready. There's a change coming. There's a train coming. You're going to get on board. There's change coming. Whether we like it or not, it's going to happen because we're not the author and the finisher of it. He is. There's a change coming. So my challenge to you today is what side are you going to end up on? God's side or your side? What side are you going to end up on? As for me, I know what side I want to end up on. And I'm willing to put everything on the altar and say, God, what do you want more than anything? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. 
I've spoken what you've given me to speak. I've tried not to add to or take from that today. But God, I pray in the name of Jesus that the scales would be removed off our eyes today that we would see. I take dominion and authority over every blindness, every spirit of deception that we can see in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ what you're doing, that we can be a part of that. Not just in action, but we can be a part of it in our hearts, our minds, our spirits today. Because God, you are bringing about your plan in action. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I don't want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to follow where you go. I want to do what you do. I want you to lead and guide. Because I believe, God, that you have a plan and a purpose that's being put into place. And you're telling us now. And you're trying to prepare us now because you're a God of mercy and grace. You've done that this, in the past and you're doing it again now. You're giving us a space of time to prepare. And when that preparation comes to an end, you're going to manifest that plan and purpose. And God, I want to be prepared. When the rain starts, I don't want to go build an ark. I want the ark already built. God, when you bring about your change, I want to be prepared. I want to be prepared. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, whatever you have to do to me or to those that are watching and listening today with sincere hearts, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would break the scales off our eyes that we can see and know and understand. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let it be today, Father, in Jesus' name.